As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. There's no crying in baseball! I ate his liver with some father beans. I skinned. If I can change, and you can change, everybody can change! And welcome to another episode of Your Next Favorite Movie. I am your host, Josh G. And today I am joined by filmmaker and musician. Please welcome Sabin Mayfield to the show. What's up, everybody? All right, so I know you got... So how'd you get your start, like, in the film business, I guess? We'll start there and then get into the music. Uh, you know, man, I was probably... The easiest way to just say it is I was, I was born into it. You know, uh, my mom is a casting director. She's been doing that since I was probably seven or eight. So that was the world that I grew up in. Uh, most everybody I knew was involved in it in, in some way, shape or form. And so, you know, when I got out of school and uh, I wasn't the most like academically inclined person at that time. So when I got out of school, it kind of just made sense to go to film school and follow in that path. Having said that, though, I always it, it was always something that interested me you know I, I had an eye for for quality films for storytelling writing reading just narrative as a whole so you know it's kind of in the blood I guess right, so and then what made the change to go musician route like was music just always something you had a passion for like, how'd that come about you know I've been getting asked that question a lot lately and I think <laughs> you know I think music was probably the the original passion you know, but, you know, it's like people have asked me like, oh, do you act or, and I'm like, no, I don't. Like I, I have done some, but being in front of the camera is very unnatural and, and nerve wracking to me. The same was true when I was young for performing or singing or trying to play instruments. I was very shy and just had a terrible time getting over that. So it was always there. You know, but it just took me later in life to just say, you know, I don't know what kind of language I could use on here, but I was like, oh, you're good. Yeah, you're good. (laughs) I was like, fuck it. I got to do what I want to do. And, you know, I'm I'm, not that it matters. I'm not very classically trained. I, you know, I don't read music. I don't play instruments. I don't sing particularly well. You know, I make hip hop records. You know, I use the tools that are available to me to express myself the best way I know how and it's working for me but uh to kind of bring it full circle I think you know there was some there was maybe comfort in the familiarity of being a filmmaker and being behind the camera like now communicating with people one-on-one you know no problem directing um and I don't mean directing people but just you know communicating for a common goal choreographing rather what I needed to be choreographed to accomplish a common goal was very very easy for me very easy for me so um yeah I just it was it was not easy it's very difficult but (laughs) I took to that (laughs) okay so I guess I'm curious like you're doing all this film stuff what was it that finally made you that push that you know what like you said fuck it I'm gonna do it now like what, what was it that got you to that point you know I mean, I think probably like just the grind of making films, you know, it's, it's very like, it can be very demoralizing, you know, it can be very demoralizing and frustrating. Now, having said that, anything worth doing 
is very difficult and challenging, right? As is music, you know? But making music can be a solo endeavor for me, you know? Making a film is always collaborative, you know? Now, it might be collaborative on a $100 million level or it might be collaborative on a $1,000 level, but you need all these other pieces to the puzzle, right? When I make music, I need a pen and a notepad, I need an instrumental, and I need an hour in the recording studio and 30 minutes to put it on the internet. And that's it, right? And I think um, for me now, I was always making music while I was making movies, but I didn't quite, you know, it, it just didn't click for me that I could release it like by myself. You know, now like releasing music independently, like as an individual is like, that's not, that's common knowledge, you know? It wasn't to me 10, 15 years ago. It wasn't 10 years ago. It wasn't five years ago, you know? Uh, I had a very kind of old school thought about like needing a label and all these things. And, but I just think like having done a movie, having done like a really successful documentary and, and maybe it not garnering the attention and leading to another thing was really kind of difficult, you know? And it made me wonder if I enjoyed it as much as I thought I enjoyed it. If I was trying to succeed to, you know, prove something to somebody else or was I doing it for myself? And, you know, uh, of course COVID hit and it was a much easier transition without having to think so much about it. Like there was no movies to be made. You know, I was working on a movie in early 2020 and that thing started and stopped a couple of times because of COVID. And then there was just some differences of opinion within the group. So it was very obvious to move on from that. And the next thing to go into was music. Coincidentally, the guy who owns the label that I released all my music through is like a very successful filmmaker as well. Oh, <laughs> so it's all still very like it's, it's, it's all happening simultaneously. Okay. So now you say it's common knowledge to know that you can do this to me who not ever looked into music. I didn't know that. How, 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 Go take me through that process. Like, how do you do that? Get it through, get it out there for everyone to hear on your own. Well, you know, having backing up a little bit, like, you know, I have the resources to release music as an individual. I'm very fortunate right now to work with a label who does it for me. You know, I send them the music uh, along with other pieces of material that are required to release a single or an EP or an album. And they give it to a distributor who puts it up on all the streaming platforms, you know. But, you know, now there's services like CD Baby, DistroKid, a slew of other ones that I'm not very familiar with, where, you know, as long as you have your music free and clear, meaning it's not like unclear samples of like, you know, uh, just a sample of an instrumental or a sample of a master recording, someone else's voice, you know, the actual singing you know you can just put the shit up there you know and the some of them have like a yearly subscription or monthly and then of course like you can customize each release for additional platforms you know like i didn't like i didn't even know there were all these streaming services like we got the first release like pre-save link for my ep that came out and there was shit on there that i'd like never heard of you know, like streaming. I'm like, I'm old school. Like I still listen to everything on Apple, 
Like, I'm like, I don't even fuck with Spotify. Like, I had to learn how to, I had to, and my son had to teach me how to use it. I was like, what is this shit, you know? Um, so basically, you just upload that, upload the artwork, like, whatever metadata it's asking for, and then, like I said, you could do it. I, I believe you could do it day up, you know? Oh, wow, okay. Yeah, but as a filmmaker, too, like, with my first EP, there was three songs on it. We did three videos, you know? Okay. So it's like... We released the EP and then we released, um, you know, uh, three, three videos for each song following, you know, and those were all really special. I don't, I don't know if you know much about that record, but it was, it was really tied into uh, my father's side of the family who I'd met like in my late thirties. Uh, and he and his family were, were musicians. And so I sampled a bunch of old family recordings, you know? So, and then Prior to that record releasing, my father passed away. So one of those videos was like a, a tribute to him, which used a bunch of archive footage of him through like the 70s and 80s. So it was all a very cool thing. Yeah, that is awesome. So I guess that takes me to in this modern day and age, how important are videos? Like you can't get you're not going to get them on TV anymore like it was. But then again, people aren't watching normal TV as much anymore anyway. So like, how big is the music video to the song? success you know man i think it depends on the artist okay you know like i i I really do i think it depends on the artist the song like you know each case is different i mean for me because of like my film background because of the label heads film background and and kind of the kind of the independent like small label agenda now not agenda but uh, formula that they have you know they have like a set amount that they will spend small amount on a video for an independent artist and because i know how to work that you know like do as much as you can for very little they were like let's do as many of these as we can you know i had the time i had the energy i had the know-how so it made sense um i wanted to have them they wanted to have them so it was really more about our desire now one of them has sixty-five thousand views one of them has 200, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but for me, it was really more about like trying to do as much of that as possible, you know? All right. So now we're going to get into the story of how we, we crossed each other's paths. So basically yeah. one day, a few months ago, I decided to watch Spring Breakers and I listened to the My World Pod with Jeff Jarrett. So I'm watching it and I'm just, I'm like, not watching Spring Breakers. I had no idea Jeff Jarrett was in this. I just, a random tweet, you know, I didn't expect to get anything, but I tagged Jeff. He quote tweeted it and tagged you in it. So tell the story of how, yeah. how this happened. Cause obviously you had a part in just sure. being in the movie. So, uh, as I mentioned, my mother's casting director, somehow I do not know how she befriended Harmony Corinne, who most people do not know, uh, at the time. And for some years prior to was living in Nashville. Oh, okay. which I think very few people knew we are both my, my mother and I are both from Nashville so when she was here she'd visit him and get to know him they hit it off they had a bunch of mutual friends uh, so she agreed to cast <clears throat> Spring Breakers at that time I was working for her and I was doing they sent me to Florida to do the location casting or let me back up to oversee it 
you know, there were some, there were two other people there, um, uh, Jeanette and Maddox, who were kind of the local casting people, but there were some more significant roles that, and some auditions that they had going on that they wanted me to be a part of. So we really all worked together, but one of the roles was this youth pastor and Harmony's like, Harmony's just like, I don't mean this in a negative way. Some people are like, he's a, he's an artist or excuse me. He's like a really amazing filmmaker. And I'm like, Harmony's not a filmmaker. <laughs> Harmony is an artist who happens to also make films. Like his paintings are phenomenal. His drawings are phenomenal. Like anything the guy does like creatively is like, he's, he's just, you know, he's, he's a true artist. Right. And he happens to make films too. So, and he's super creative he's super hip to what's going on right like as you'll know in the movie the atl twins are in there and these guys got famous from like fucking vice for just being like whatever they are i don't know but you know they're in the movie james franco was hot at the time you know he wanted to bring these kind of like innocent disney girls into this bad girl thing but one of the roles was this youth pastor right and harm was like Y'all, I want DDP. I want Diamond Dallas Page. Oh, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, dude, no, that shit is played out. That's like the easiest, that's the easiest thing to be because he's already like that. Like he's, he's already preaching his DDP yoga, yoga yeah. right? <laughs> so, and he's, you know, and, and I've, you know, I think that's cool. You know what I mean? That he's doing that because he's, he's obviously I've seen a lot of pieces on other like former wrestlers and yeah. addicts and people that he's helped and really saved lives so like but I was like nah dude like because I grew up watching like USWA and like going to the fairgrounds and watching this and I was like we need Jeff Jarrett <laughs> okay we need fucking Jeff Jarrett and I had like you know like I grew up watching him. I was a fan like whatever and uh you know i hit jeff up like out of the blue i found his email and then i told him what we were doing and he was like on it man he called me and you know he sent in his audition and that was it you know next thing next thing i knew we were flying him down to florida and you know he was doing his day or however many days it was and the rest is history you know awesome so he, he was just game right away for it okay yeah, just to go for it, man. Like he's down, you know. Okay, so I watched I watched wrestling in the mid '90s. So he was already in WWF or WWE, as it's called now. So what yeah. made you from the USWA make you want Jeff Jarrett for this role? I, I, I just, well, I'm just curious what you saw. Like, what was it about him that you wanted? Well, I mean, look, man. Like, if you, I don't know how familiar you are with wrestling, and you know, I like I am. Right. Like I was an 80s kid. I grew up watching it. Like a lot of those guys lived here around here, like Jerry the King Lawler, blah, blah, blah. Uh, <clears throat> and I had seen his transformation because when he was here, he was the, he was the baby face. He was the golden boy. His dad was right, his dude. dad owned the organization, Jerry Jarrett. And Jeff was the golden boy. He had long hair. Mm -hmm. You know, he was the pretty guy. He was always the champion. He didn't do the, the honky tonk man shtick yet. There was no guitar, you know. And then I had seen him go to WWE, do the, the I don't know what you call it, the shtick, the gimmick, yeah. whatever he had there, the double J thing. Yep. And then, you know, moving forward, the NWA. But 
you know, it's like by that time he cut his hair, you know, he had, he just had no disrespect to Jeff at all. He just had the look to me. You know, I knew that we could get him in a, I knew that we could get him some frosted tips, a little bit of hair gel, an affliction shirt, and like, you know, some stoned wash jeans, and he could praise the Lord for the youth. <laughs> you know, uh, and there, we, we talked about some other guys, like, I, I can't remember, I can't remember exactly, I think Harmony had some, like, ideas, and and I, I think, like, he knew, he knew or knew of Mick Foley, and I was like, no, that's not gonna work, like, no, Mankind is not the guy, uh, Brother Love is not the guy, or like maybe Terry Funk. I was like, no, no, no. Um, and I sent him, you know, you know, I just, I, yeah, I was like, that, it's Jeff. Like, it's Jeff, you know. And it worked out and he was, he was cool about it. It wasn't like, it wasn't a fight. It wasn't an argument. It was just a, he was like, yeah, that's a great idea, man. Let's see. Like send, have him send an audition and Jeff did it and he killed it. Yeah, no, I think it worked out. Like I said, I was just I was surprised by it, but I liked it. <clears throat> All right, so yeah. we're, we're going to transition to the movie of the night. Going back to 2007 for David Fincher's Zodiac. Do you always go around helping people in the night? When I'm done with them. They don't need much help. The Zodiac Killer has come to San Francisco. Dear editor, I want you to print this cipher on the front page of your paper. He wants his code in the afternoon edition. The killer still at large. Got any hard suspects? I'm up to around 500. He's hunting humans. You're gonna catch this guy or not? He's still out there, Dave. I'm not the Zodiac, and if I was, I wouldn't tell you. Who is this? Zodiac rated R. All right, so this first question, I'm guessing. You're going to have an interesting story of how you first saw this movie because you brought it up. Your mom was the casting director mm-hmm. on this. So uh, did you grow? I mean, were you there watching it being filmed the whole time or? I, I was not. I don't like I literally I have zero interest being on a film set unless it's a film that I'm I'm involved in. Oh, OK. Then. Well, OK. Talk about it when you first the, saw it. Then It is the most boring place to be. Is it? Of all time. Yeah, if you're not like, you if you're no, not doing anything. Yeah, if you don't have anything to do there, you're just sitting there, like in a chair, like <laughs> being quiet, and not doing, and eating junk food at the craft service table. You know? <laughs> um, so it's not it's not enjoyable. It's fine to go for lunch and say hey and leave, but uh, I don't even know that I went to the premiere. I, I really can't remember like so so long ago. I remember my I remember my mom working on it and all that and being around I was always around you know what I mean like but I think I was like I think at the time maybe I was like working as a grip or something I wasn't even working with her and the first time I, I watched it I hated it I hated it I thought it was so fucking boring right I thought it was like the biggest snooze film of all time like I didn't like the period piece I didn't like any of the actors you know I just thought it was like Nothing about it moved me, spoke to me, turned me on anything, right? And I, this is, this is a funny story. Uh, I had gone on a trip to Paris and I was flying back and I watched the movie on the way back. And it was like I had watched it for the first time, again, with a new pair of glasses on. You on know? a flight. And, 
Yeah, I was totally, and may, again, maybe it was the setting that I had seen it in the first time, like, I don't know, but I was like locked in, I was in, in my little pod on the plane, with my headphones on, no distractions, like, had just had a nice meal, and I was like, boom, like, <laughs> laser focus, and I, I realized while watching it that, to me, this is just my opinion, you know, it mimicked the film, like, Shawshank, in the sense that, you know, if you if you had a gun to my head and you asked me to point out a misstep in the film, uh, uh, a point in time or an action or a scene or a this or a that that removed you from the world that he created, I couldn't put I could not point one out, you know, and the thing that I think so many people miss about his films in particular, I think most of the films that my mom work on. Is the, is the value of an ensemble cast. Now, if you look at that film, now, if you know anything about the Zodiac case and you've seen some of those people in real life, like the real people, the casting is very, very, very spot on. You know, now, obviously they got the best actors for the job, but also the best actors for the job who also resembled the original people. Now, think back at it. So Jake Gyllenhaal was not the Jake Gyllenhaal that we know today. Robert Downey Jr. was not fucking Tony Stark. You know? That, no, he was still in the midst of making that comeback after Kiss Kiss yeah, Bang Bang was, and stuff. Yeah, he was about to get guy, there. <laughs> yeah, he was still the guy who'd ruined his career. Yeah. You know? You know, and, and so on. And so Anthony Edwards, like, you know, the ER guy. Right. You know, Mark um, Ruffalo wasn't the Hulk yet. <laughs> Mark Ruffalo was not the Hulk yet. Um, and I mean, ad infinitum in that movie, you know what I mean? Like, like, I mean, fuck, dude, like Ioni Sky's in that movie. Donald Logue's in the movie. Elias Cateas is in the movie. John I, Carroll Lynch. John Carroll Lynch. Pell James is in the movie. Um, I mean, we're, you know, Don, Donald Logue's sister, Karina's in the movie, who's a phenomenal actress in her own right. Um, I'm trying to think, like, who else, man? Uh, my friend Patrick Lewis is in the movie. He's he's the the male in the in the he's the male of the couple who gets killed at the lake or oh, attacked oh. at the lake. Richmond Arquette is in the movie. You know, um, there's just so many people. You know, and none of those people at the time, like they were just so perfectly cast, and no one pulled pulled focus. Like there was no like movie movie star that kind of distracted from moving this entire story along through fucking decades right you know and like how hard is it to make a compelling movie that ends with no resolution <laughs> right like that is very challenging and it is and i think maybe we mentioned this uh when we were corresponding it has become one of two movies the first being shawshank the second being zodiac anytime it's on i will watch it and it never, it never loses its effect to me. Like, you know. Yeah, I, I remember. I went very to this, flawless film. I, I agree. I, for me, this is Fincher's masterpiece of all his stuff for me personally. I agree for me as well, yeah. I know. I went to see this in theaters. And I, I me and the wife went. We were dating at the time. But uh, we went to see this. And we went to see Sam Jackson and Black Snake Moan in the same day. So it was definitely a <laughs> hell of a day at the theater for us. <laughs> So yeah. before we move on, actually, I have, a, I have a question. How did your mom get to be like 
Fincher's personal casting director, it seems like. Well, she's done quite a few with him, right? Yeah, a bunch, man. She, uh, this is a really interesting story. So when we moved out to Los Angeles in the early 80s, she got a job working at Propaganda Film, which was this very prestigious production company, you know, no longer around today, but it was like, it was like the Mount Rushmore of production companies at that time. You know, I mean, the, the, the family tree that's, that's grown out from that is like mind blowing, you know, like you could almost trace everything back to it. And uh, so she got a job there, I think, like maybe as a receptionist or something, just like very entry level thing, kind of temp, needing a gig, whatever. And then somehow like she, I think she got like assigned to this young director who needed an assistant that happened to be Dave. And then, you know, he was like, I mean, I think, you know, I don't know exactly like her story, not mine, but I think at some point he was like, man, we like, we got to find something for you to do. Like you are too qualified to be a secretary, you know? <laughs> and she has a, a phenomenal eye for talent and like a mental Rolodex of actors that is just like mind blowing, you know? And it's, you know, it's like, she's tailor-made for that, man. Like, it's, like, in her DNA and, you know, the start in music videos and commercials and, you know, went on to films. I think she didn't do the first two films, I think, a lot because of the age that I was at and, and um, like, going away for that long of a time was, was not quite something she was comfortable with. But I think then beginning with Fight Club and moving forward. Oh, okay. Wow. All of those films. All right, so you've talked a lot about why you love it. So in case anyone hasn't seen it, tell everybody the this, this basic story of Zodiac, just the premise. The Man, I, I don't even know that I could tell the basic story. So and I, I, of course, could be getting the facts wrong. And I, I can't remember if the killing started in the late 60s or early 70s. But basically, there was a string of murders in the, in the San Francisco area and some surrounding counties that went unsolved. And when those murders began, the supposed killer or whoever the alleged killer began sending anonymous letters to the local newspapers, right? And of course, sent the entire area into hysterics, right? Now, there were some murders that they were for sure were from this Zodiac killer, right? There were also some additional murders that he took credit for that they questioned whether or not he was actually involved in. There was also periods of time where this person went dark for like years at a time and then resurfaced, not necessarily for killing, but for additional letters. So these things all factored into like various suspects, which they never pinned down. They never arrested anybody. They never had any like DNA evidence. They were about as close as you possibly could. But there was a car, uh, excuse me, a cartoonist. There was a crime beat reporter course whose name i cannot remember he's played by robert downey jr in the movie yeah it's paul something i know it's paul yeah. i just can't remember and, last name and the cartoonist played by jake gyllenhaal in the movie again whose real name i can't remember robert graysmith i do remember robert, that one. Right, who ended up writing the book that the movie's based <laughs> on right this fucking thing ruined both of these motherfuckers lives like paul graysmith or excuse me paul <laughs> Paul Avery. Paul yes, Avery. Paul Avery, that's it. Went fucking mad, right? Probably from some other things, you know. But 
it drove him up a fucking tree because at some point in time, the Zodiac wrote a letter to him directly. And then um, Graysmith became so obsessed with it that as it's depicted in the film, it, it cost him a marriage, but he, he became the foremost expert, which he ended up writing a book on that became a, a bestseller. Um, but it shows the cast of characters who were involved in this, this investigation and basically the toll it took on everybody's lives chasing a ghost, basically. You know, and, and so many people getting to the point to where they had to accept and move on with something that they found unacceptable. And some people could do it with ease, you know, like uh, Anthony Edwards' character in the movie. He was like, man, this is just too much amount. Or someone like Mark Ruffalo's character in the movie who it caused him some strife, but nothing, you know, appearing to be catastrophic. And then you have, you know, Paul Avery, who, you know, went mad. And then Gray Smith, who became you know uh clinically obsessed basically yeah yeah and and just uh you know kind of and the other thing that's really interesting about the film is you know like there is a big cast of characters because there were like some competing counties like a tri-county area where these murders were taking place right that were kind of in the bay area i don't i'm not familiar with the area but yeah. you know like i live in nashville for instance like you could say Nashville, but there's probably like three, three or four counties that, you know, you could dip into fairly easily being in Nashville, you know, I believe it was the same in the Bay Area, <laughs> but they could never quite get on the same page, which is probably why they never solved the fucking case. Yeah. You know, again, this is in the 70s. They didn't have the same, but it was like everybody wanted to like crack it, you know, and I believe there was some posturing and things of that nature that made it difficult to move forward and and um, so basically it's, you know, it's the story of all of these, you know, policemen, detectives, investigators, journalists trying to track down this serial killer who was basically toying with them, you know, for decades. All right. So this, oof, this next part, is not, I'm sure I missed something that's probably very obvious, but. No, know. I don't, I don't think so. I'm just thinking. And this I also, sorry to digress, but like I just watched a show on Hulu about this dude who was like adopted and then found out who his adopted mom, I cannot remember the, the name of the show, but he find out who his adopted mom is and then convinced himself that the father who like dropped him off in an or orphanage was the Zodiac killer. Oh, geez. <laughs> and that dude literally goes insane, like try, trying to prove that. Right. And this is wow. a, this is a documentary series, but that shit was insane. So and that's actually how I kind of um, had a reference for some who uh, for some of what these real life characters look like because they showed them, you know, they showed pictures in the past. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of the most bizarre cases of all time. Right. But now we're moving to the next step of this and. There's not really an easy way to do it. And that is where we go into sequel territory, where I talk about what you would like to see in a sequel to this. But this movie, like you said, it already starts in the 70s, goes through the 80s and gets to the early 90s when it stops. And there's really nothing else you can do. But yeah, I don't even like that's the thing, though. Like, I don't even remember. I, I believe the, the, the last killing like associated with the Zodiac were in the 70s. Right. But I think by by the 80s, like anything associated with the, that the Zodiac killer in the letters had stopped. Right. 
I think uh, I think that's then, right. And then the book, maybe the book came out late. I, I can't remember. I don't know the timeline, but um, yeah. Are you asking about a sequel? Yeah. Well, you would want to see because it's it's part of what I do. But man, this one is not one that's good for that question. <laughs> man, I, if I'd known that when we started, I would have picked a different film. <laughs> I think, you know, for me, like, I mean, but here's the thing is the story does continue. You know, because it's the story of Robert Graysmith, you know, and it's the story of Robert Graysmith and, and the book, because you really you you never really like get a clear understanding of his hypothesis of who it is. You know, you know that he's the foremost expert. Right. You know, but, you know, you're not sure if he knows without a shadow of a doubt that it's Arthur Lee Allen. I mean, there's that scene at the end of the movie where he goes to the the hardware store and they have that that fucking weird standoff where it's like i i want you to know that i know right now you know that i know <laughs> but i mean like do you fucking know like i didn't um and i i think it you know you if if that were to create now having said that that doesn't sound like the most <laughs> exciting sequel right <laughs> but who better to take something that is like cerebral, you know, and intellectual and research-based and criminal investigation type work and turn it into a masterpiece other than David Fincher. I completely agreed. Yeah. I mean. He obviously got his so, feet wet with this. That's what made him want to do Mindhunter. At least that's the, that's the way I see it, you know. He right. I mean, Mind- he has he has a knack for that kind of stuff, it seems, you know, but I, I mean, I think if, you know, if you were just say it in a general way, it would, it would, the sequel would entail like, you know, Graysmith's journey and turning that, that the life that the story that consumed him into a New York Times bestseller and, and what his feelings are about it. All right. Now we get into something that once again, you don't want to see, but could happen. And that's if they were to do a remake today. Oh my gosh, yeah. And even though in reality, Gyllenhaal and Downey Jr. could probably come back and pull those roles off. Can't do that. We need new people. <laughs> you need all new people. My, I mean, obviously, this is a big ensemble cast. So just a few of the main. <laughs> okay, hang on. Let me think here for a second. Okay, so we'll start with like Jake Gyllenhaal's character, right? Oh my god, dude! Like I, I don't even like. I'm trying to think of like who. Oh my god, dude! Like I feel like I needed like so much like prep for that. You know, that's not even funny. Well, you know, I'll tell you who I like. I mean, um, oh my god! And I told a buddy of mine. He was like asking me for some like. I, I we were having a conversation about his acting and something he'd been in, and I've given him some some references. You know, like. You know who's like tailor made for this movie for me is Kyle Chandler. Okay. Kyle Chandler fits in that world to me. You know, like that's an example of a of an actor who never chews up the scenery. You know, whatever film that you find him in, you know, like he just he just blends perfectly. You know what I mean? You know, I think you could have um oh my god. Uh, Jason Bateman works in that world you know again you could say a, a movie star a superstar but again like 
you know, you, you're never distracted from the story at hand in Ozark because Jason Bateman's in it. You know what I mean? I think he's somebody who fits in that that role. You know, I'm trying to think of some young actors who've done some work that I really enjoyed recently. Um, and I'm completely drawing blanks <laughs> um, because, you know, so much of the stuff's on like TV now. I, I couldn't I couldn't even begin to take a wild guess of who you would recast for Downey and yeah, that would uh, be Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah. What about you? I, that's that's I don't do it. That's why. And I had to look. I should have reminded you. I had sent these questions way back at the beginning. So that you oh, did have man. them, and I should have totally reminded you. I'm sorry, I totally blew it. No, yeah, I I should have reminded you because we hadn't talked in a little while when we decided to hook back up right here because this was a spur of the moment type thing where I had some free time. Yeah, I mean, give me one second. Oh, I mean, who? You could, I mean, here's a great example. He's maybe a little young. You could, you know, a Tom Holland type. You know, that could definitely work. You know. What's the kid's name? Timothy Calumet. Um, Timothy Calumet. Uh, you could, you know, Andrew Garfield ish, you know, that works. For Robert Downey Jr., I mean, how in the fuck? Yeah, that's, that is, I agree. That's the tough one. I mean, you could go complete. You know who I really like, man? I, I don't know that this is the world that he's in. Is, um, oh, you know who you could. <sighs> This is so dumb. I'm such an idiot for this. Um, Boyd Holbrook, you know, Boyd was in my film Boomtown. He works perfectly in that world. He could play Downey's role for sure. Uh, he could even play Graysmith's role. Luke Grimes, he would be fantastic in Jalen Hall's role. And those are just people that I like personally and things right. that I've seen. There's some kind of younger generation. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Boyd. I've uh, got the pleasure of working with him a couple of times. So yeah, those those would be a couple couple people that I really dig. Okay. All right. So here's the last thing. As if okay. you haven't done it enough, do that one final pitch to sell this on someone who hasn't taken a chance on this movie yet, on why they should if they I'm like, look, look, man, like my feeling is, is like if you can't appreciate this film, like you can't you can't appreciate like cinematic excellence, you know, like there, there is a handful of filmmakers alive right now who even have the ability to uh, attract the type of people that you would need to make a film of this caliber. Right. I've seen some really, I've seen some new movies and new shows that came out recently and I'm a fan of them. I really, really am. The content that is out today is not of the same ilk of a film like Zodiac, right? They are in such a rush to put things out that corners get cut. And the attention to detail that a filmmaker like David Fincher pays to every single thing involved in a film that he's making would blow your fucking mind right and i <laughs> i fancy myself a fairly smart guy i feel that i am like i feel like i have a mental deficiency when i'm in the room with him. <laughs> he is 
he is effortlessly brilliant. Um, and this is, he was, he was born to make films, you know, um, he has a grasp and an understanding of, 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 of every aspect of filmmaking that is masterful, you know, to even put it lightly. And so you're really watching a master at work, not to mention the fact that you're tackling one of the most difficult pieces of subject matter that's still unsolved today with a cast of actors and filmmakers who will go down in history as some of the greatest of all time. So you're really, you would be, you would be consuming a piece of history, you know? And if you can't appreciate that, then you're probably not a connoisseur of the arts. That's okay. <laughs> not for everyone, right? <laughs> Amen. Like, you know, you can't teach taste, you know? <laughs> there, yeah, there you go. All right. I think you did a good job. We're going to wrap this one up. Why don't you tell everyone where they can find you online, where they can find your music, where they can find any of your films if they're streaming or something, all that good stuff. Uh, you can find my my feature film Boomtown on Hulu, which is it's streaming there. Um, obviously, it's available on other VOD services. There's some great actors on there. It's a uh, kind of experimental docu-narrative film. Uh, one fictional character in a non-fictional world of Williston, North Dakota, and the the oil boom and oil fields up there. So, very unique, very interesting film. Um, there's another documentary I did uh, available on Amazon Prime called "Time Can't Be Wasted" uh, about the uh, recording of uh, singer-songwriter Trevor Bonson's first full-length project. Amazing talent, musician, songwriter, singer who's also battling cystic fibrosis. Uh, which makes what he does all the more amazing. Obviously, you can check some of my other credits and short form work on uh, Vimeo mostly. There's a video I did for Julian Baker a few years ago called Sprained Ankle that people really dig, amongst some other things. Check out my website, sabinmayfield.com. I uh, believe Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, all at Sabin Mayfield. My Facebook page is just for my music. I think it's David Mayfield official. And um, yeah. Okay. So you can get the music on all, all those sites. Cause I know you can get, yeah, you can look you're, <laughs> I wasn't a big social media guy. Um, so when I started re-releasing music, I had to get on all these social media platforms. So basically like everything you're going to find on my social media is music related, except for a few little, you know, flashback Fridays or throwback Thursdays or whatever. Uh, but obviously if you just gave a Google or whatever, there's, there's a, a good deal of information about some of my work and some interviews and things like that, that I've done. So yeah, there's plenty, there's plenty to consume film and music related. All right. Sounds good. And as always, you can find the show at YNF movie pod on Twitter and Instagram, available wherever you get your podcasts, including YouTube. And be sure to come back next week. I have a new guest, a new movie, and who knows, that may be your next favorite movie. You guys take care. I'll talk to you next time.